0: God became flesh, became a man. You see someone here on the earth who is doing things God's way. Prior to Jesus, there were all kinds of people who wanted to do things God's way, who tried to do things God's way. But here's someone who actually was God and introduced to us, here's how God does things. Now, throughout the book, we see that people are shocked at how Jesus did things and For all of us, so often in our lives, we recognize at least that God just has a a strange way of doing things. His perspective is so different than ours that often it just is baffling to figure out what he's doing. Well, here we see um, in in an interesting and a way that we can relate to how difficult it is to figure that out. And how important it is at the same time for us to receive his perspective so that we can see life, we can see eternity and everything through his eyes and the way he sees them. But his perspective is an elevated one, and and this chapter illustrates that in a whole lot of different ways. The chapter starts out with the story of the feeding of 4,000. Now, we already went through the story of Jesus Feeding 5,000 people from five loaves and two fishes, and that time 12 baskets of food were left over. Now, this happened after that had happened. And, well, we'll just begin reading in verse 1, Mark chapter 8. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Now before, Jesus was out with a bunch of people, and the disciples were kind of panicking and going, Man, these people are hungry. you got to send them away. We don't have a way to feed them. This time, it's a little different. Jesus points out to the disciples Hey, look at these people. And, you know, the disciples, you'd expect, would have gotten kind of excited and said, Oh, cool. The lo- we have, actually, we have more fish this time than we had last time. Seven, You know, seven loaves and several fish instead of five loaves and only two fishes. But instead, they showed that they didn't really learn much of anything because it says... His disciples answered him in verse 4, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? It's like they totally forgot what Jesus can do. And they looked at this new challenge, this new problem that was similar to one they had been through before, and they go, this is impossible. What can possibly happen here? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. He told the people to sit down. He broke the loaves, had a few fish, broke them, blessed them, and set them before him. And verse 8, they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Those who had eaten were about 4,000. Then he sent them away full, immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha, which is there on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, um, near Magdala. So you have again, there's this miracle. Now, if, for some people they go, oh, you know, the Bible has contradictions. It says he fed 5,000, says he fed 4,000. Which is it? Well, in this gospel it records both and he's going to talk about it. But it's funny how, you know, God can do things and we tend to forget. We tend to doubt as they did now, as we read on, Jesus is going to bring it up again. But at this point, it says, when he departed, from, or when uh, the Pharisees came out, Pharisees were people who were constantly doubting Jesus. They wanted to trip him up and mess him up. And so they came out and began to argue, dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. I mean, this is so crazy, Jesus is doing miracles all the time. He had healed people who were sick, raised those from the dead. A couple different occasions, including just before this, fed thousands of people with a, with a happy meal. And yet, <coughs> here they're going, show us a trick. People who are asking for miracles are never going to be satisfied, and Jesus knew it. They wanted to see an even greater trick. And as he says, he sighed deeply in his spirit. And I think often when we <clears throat> act like, God, I need to really know who you are. So please <clears throat> do this miracle. Do something great for me. I remember one time years ago, I was going through kind of a tough time emotionally, and I was up in the mountains and... and. Uh, had spoke for a retreat or something, and I just went out to spend time with the Lord, and I was sitting out there looking up at the stars. It was a star-filled night, and I just was really feeling like, God, are you really there? Do you really love me? And so I picked a little piece of the sky, a little square, and I said, God, if you really love me, make a shooting star go right in this little square, and then the Lord just ministered to me, look how much I've done for you. Look what I've created for you. I sent my son to die for you. I've turned your life around. I've blessed you in so many ways. How can you continue to ask me to prove my love? And I just said, oh, God, you're right. It's so dumb. I, I know you love me, and you don't have to do anything. Sorry for, for me being like a Pharisee and asking for a sign. And then right at that point, as I'm just praising God, in that little patch of sky, a little shooting star went. And you could say, well, God, you know, because of the delay of the travel of light, he made it happen. And, you know, No, but God knew that, and he didn't do it to prove his love because I already knew he loved me at that point. But he was just messing with me. He just wanted to make me laugh, really, and, and just to give me a reminder. How many times do I have to prove myself? How much do I have to do before finally you believe? And here, Jesus, reacting probably in the same way when I asked him to prove his love for me, it says he sighed deeply in his spirit. He went, oh, man. And then he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no, no sign shall be given to this generation. He said, for you guys, I'm through doing tricks. I'm not going to jump through hoops for you. I'm not your trained seal. I'm not going to keep having to prove myself. Pharisees, I don't care how many miracles I do, you're not going to believe. And so here you have two categories of people. You have disciples who forget so quickly what he can do and act like, oh no, we're in a horrible emergency because we have a bunch of people and no food. You have Pharisees who are just trying to disprove him, but they too are saying, do a miracle. What have you done for me lately? (laughs) Poor Jesus. He's, He's spending his time ministering to people who just don't seem to learn. And we see that as we move on as well. Now, He decided to teach them some deeper lessons. And so in verse 13, it says, He left them, and getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Kind of funny. They had baskets load of leftovers, but, you know, they left it behind. They were just, again, you know, just going through life. They didn't have bread. And they were preoccupied with it they were starting to get hungry. And all they had was one little biscuit with them in the boat. And while they were worrying about eating, as, you know, so often we do that, we're trying to spend time with the Lord, but our stomach's growling, and we're just wondering, when's this gonna get over so we can go to brunch? He he charged them, and he said, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, Jesus was taking the whole idea of food and he knew they were thinking about food and so he made a metaphor and talked about leaven and leaven is something that he talks about several places kind of as a picture of sin and he says a little bit of leaven you put it in that loaf of bread and the whole loaf rises and the point is it's contagious it spreads it infects and so he is trying to take them from a physical situation to a spiritual situation and saying, be careful because you guys, though you say you believe, you can be affected by the doubts, by the whining, by the demands for a sign from people like the Pharisees. Make sure that that doesn't, that attitude doesn't affect you. And so as he's trying to teach them this deeper spiritual lesson that's a lot more important than where your next meal is going to come from, they heard the leaven thing and go, Oh, that reminds me how hungry I am. Kind of like if you're, you know, if, if Jesus goes, I'm the bread of life, and you go, Hmm, bread sounds good, right? No, 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 it's about life. It's not about bread. But as they were listening to him, all they heard was, I heard him say something about bread, and it's because we, don't, we forgot to bring bread. In verse 17, Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason? because you have no bread do you not perceive nor understand is your heart still hardened you guys don't get it remember it said their heart was hardened when after he fed 5000 and then they were out in a boat and he was you know asleep in the boat and the storm was coming up and they freaked out and he said you know you guys didn't learn the lesson of the bread now he's going i don't think you still learned i've done it twice and you still don't get it. You still don't understand. I do things differently than what you expect. Your heart's hard. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said 12. Now, they're already thinking, oh, no, a math word problem. You know, okay, 5, 2, 12, Right? He goes, yeah. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, oh no, (laughs) test anxiety. How many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said seven. And so he said, okay, then how many loaves per person divided? No, he, (laughs) he didn't do that at all. His point was, check out my math. Okay, we had less food and more people And there was more left over. We had a little bit more food, a few less people, and there was less left over. But everybody ate, right? And there was more left over than what anyone needed, right? I took care of you, right? Does that add up? And he said to them, how is it you do not understand? How come you guys still don't get it? that I do things differently than you do? Why don't you understand that you don't ever have to worry about whether or not I'm going to come through? You're living with me, seeing me do all these miracles, and you're still missing the point of who I am. So he left from there, and a great illustration of this, he comes to a blind man at Bethsaida. The guy was blind, and Jesus spit, in the made some mud and wiped it in the guy's eyes, and he goes, okay, can you see? And the guy looked out, and if you read the passage, you see it. He said, oh, I see men like trees. He's like, I kind of see, but it's all blurry, and you know, maybe I could see if you didn't put this mud in my eye, in other words. But then he goes, okay, later, we'll try it again. He touches them again, and then the guy could see perfectly. And Jesus said... The guy was excited because he could see, and Jesus said, yeah, well, don't go blabbing to everybody about it. I'm not trying to build this huge program. See, again, Jesus having a different way of doing things. First of all, to this day, there's no one I know of who does eye surgery by spitting in a guy's eyes. Now, there are people who say, Oh, well, the miracle probably worked because Jesus knew there are certain minerals in the dirt there, and as he, the the chemicals in his saliva mixed with the chemicals in the dirt. Okay, well then, why aren't they doing that today if that's how it happened? It was his spit, it was him, that's why it worked. And yet, for most people, if you healed a blind guy, you would say, tell all your friends. Pass out business cards. But Jesus just has a different way of doing things. And In the same way, this blind guy who was partly seen but he couldn't see very well at first is really a great reminder and emblematic of how his disciples were at that point. They're starting to see. They could make out shapes. Things were starting to fall into place, but they still couldn't see clearly. Even as today we find ourselves, we've been touched by Jesus. And maybe everything that needs to happen has already happened to us, but we're kind of blinking and wiping our eyes and going, I don't know, I see some shapes. He's not finished with us yet. And so while we're in that process, it's difficult. Because again, he has a weird way of doing things. He has a whole different way of doing things. And what's necessary for us as we get to know him is for us to have a radical paradigm shift, a different perspective, a higher perspective that we will start to look at things the way he looks at them and then they will clear up. But for the blind guy, it took a couple touches for that to happen. Now, they go on and in verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went out to Caesarea Philippi, and on the road, he asked the disciples, he gave them a real test, who do men say that I am? I think Jesus was wondering, are you guys getting it at all? I know you don't get it, get it, but is anything sinking in? And so he said, so what do people say about me? And the disciples are popping up, oh yeah, some people think you're John the Baptist. You know, that somehow when John the Baptist died, your, his spirit went into you. Or that you're a guy like John the Baptist, just a good prophet. There are still people today who think Jesus was just kind of a fancy version of John the Baptist or, you know, any other prophet. You go, know, some people think you're Elijah because Malachi had prophesied that Elijah would come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So some people think you're even Elijah. Some people think you're some other prophet. And then Jesus says, okay, who do you say that I am? The huge question, the ultimate question, who am I? And I'm sure for most of the disciples, they didn't know what the right answer was. Peter always had an answer whether he knew it or not. And even a broken clock is right twice a day. And God revealed to Peter what the real answer was. And Peter blurted out, you are the Christ you're the Messiah. The other gospels tell us that he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in those gospels, we learn that Jesus said, <laughs> right answer. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, but God has revealed this to you. So he comes up with the right answer. He's starting to get it. And they all go, oh, yeah, yeah, we thought that too. Peter <laughs> speaks for us. And he goes on to say, you know, that... that." Uh, He strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. They weren't ready yet to really tell people the whole truth. The day would come when they had that opportunity. But at this point, Jesus, for one thing, he knew that he wasn't going to be the Messiah in the way that they expected. He understood, and he goes on to explain to them that he was going to have to die first. But also, the disciples weren't the kind of people that you know you wanted going out representing you at this point point. and so he goes okay just keep it down let's not let's you're starting to learn but you're not really as as Gale Irwin says you're not exactly a apostles yet you're maybe b apostles at the best so <laughs> so you know hang hang with me a little bit and now it gets a little tougher because he started to teach them verse 31 that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. Well, they didn't like that. He began to tell them, I'm going to have to die. See, they thought, hey, you're the Messiah. Now, when are you going to take over? When are you going to be revealed? When are we going to rule with you? We're looking forward to this. But the path that he was going to take was much different than that, and he was going to have to die first. But he was going to rise from the dead. Death isn't so bad if you know you're going to rise, and yet still they were bummed when they heard that. In the same way that if somebody that you love came and said, you know, something I have to tell you, I'm going to die in a week. But I'm not really going to be dead, I'm going to, it's just going to look like that. I'm actually going to be in heaven with the Lord and you'll see me again someday. You'd still be sad because the dying part is what you can connect with and what you can see so clearly. And so you don't blame Peter for popping off here and getting upset because he heard the death part and the resurrection part was like, yeah, whatever, I don't like the idea that you're going to die. This isn't what we signed on for. And so he spoke it openly, and Peter pulled him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter had just aced the last test. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, right. And you know how momentum is. You think I'm on a roll here, I'm doing well. If you, One of the most amazing examples of momentum was the football game yesterday between Texas and Texas Tech. One of the best football games I've ever seen in my life. Neither team played poorly at all, but momentum would shift and Tech went out to a big lead and Texas battled back and it was, you knew it was coming down to a storybook finish, but wow, what, a, what an amazing game. Well, life sometimes is that way and Peter was looking pretty good. In the other Gospels, we learned that not only did the Lord say to him, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. That's the right answer and you heard it from God. And then he also told them, you know, I'm going to give you the name Peter, Rocky, because it's upon this rock that I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So Peter knocked it out of the park. He, he aced this thing, and he's on a roll, and now he hears Jesus saying, I'm going to die. And Peter goes, puts his arm around Jesus and pulls him aside and goes, no, Jesus, um, I don't want the other guys to hear you saying something like this. You're... Remember me, Rocky, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. No, 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 I think you got a little confused here. You're not going to die. Oh, nobody's going to kill you as long as I'm around, you know. And he's rebuking them. And when he turned around, he looked at the disciples and he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So Peter, in just a short time, picks up the nickname Rocky and the nickname Satan. (laughs) Oh man, nothing worse than that. You're on a roll and then you just go one further and it's all over. But in that phrase that Jesus says there, I think he describes what's wrong with all of us. He describes what the problem is When we don't get what he is doing, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. He said, you're thinking like a human. Yeah, well, I am a human. That's how how I think. Okay. But what I want you to do, what I came to do for you, is to think in God's way. To see the world and reality through His lens. I'm trying to educate you to a whole higher level of reality, a whole different way of seeing things. And unless you learn to see things through God's eyes, nothing's ever going to make sense to you. And what you see that's going to happen is always going to freak you out. It's always going to upset you and throw you off your mark. Now, as a further illustration of this, verse 34, he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, and he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." And this is the bottom line of the paradigm shift that Jesus came to accomplish. This is the ultimate picture of why life looks so messed up to us, and why God seems like He's fine with what's happening. See, our lives are constantly enduring challenges. And there's a process of death that's going on in everything that happens to us. You know, there's, you know, you're killing me, Larry. It's true. Life is doing that. Everyone you know is killing you. Everything that you do takes a little bit of you away. And yet, the fact that life is so lethal is is only helped by the fact that death is the road to life that resurrection comes after death, that that which would seem to be really destructive isn't that at all. Well, how can you have that perspective? Experience. See, if you walked with Jesus for a while, you ought to start getting it. You ought to start figuring out that if you're in a boat and it looks like it's going to sink and Jesus is with you, and it looks like he's sleeping, it's okay. He's messing with you. He's trying to teach you a lesson. He calms storms. If you're out in the wilderness, and you got this big family with you, and you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, it's nothing to worry about. He's messing with you. He's only setting you up so you'll be excited when dinner shows up. And he can do it. And he doesn't need a lot to turn into a lot. He doesn't need a bunch of raw materials in order to do his work. And after you walk with him for a while, you get to where hopefully you're less threatened by things looking bad. Because you find out he likes for things to look bad so that he can come to the rescue. And that's how he works. That's how he does life. If you want to go with Him, that's the way you're going to go. Now, the Bible talks about the fact that there are two paths. One of them, narrow and tough. The other one, broad, smooth, and downhill. Now, if you're hiking, you're trying to find your way back to your car, which path do you want to take? The one that goes to your car or the one that goes downhill? Well, you might realize, and if somebody tips you off, the shortest way to your vehicle is on that narrow trail, and it's rocky and it's hard, but going the wrong way isn't going to get you anywhere at all. It's direction that matters. It's not what the path is like. It's kind of like that old joke of the guys who were out hunting, and sorry if you Bambi lovers, if you're offended by this, but... They they sh- shot a deer, or let's just say they found a deer that was already dead, and <laughs> they were going to drag it back to their truck, and they're pull; these two guys are pulling the deer by its legs, and if you've ever done that, pulling a deer against the grain of its hair is really hard, because the hair stands up and grabs the ground, and they were dragging it for a while, and it was really hard, and somebody came along and said, you guys are dragging that deer the wrong way turn around and drag it by its antlers and the hair lays down and it'll be much smoother so they turned it around and they dragged it the other way and they were going man he's right this is easy and after a couple hours they're going boy i'm sure glad we learned to drag it by its antlers and the other guy goes yeah it's a lot easier but we're getting further and further from the truck (laughs) sorry Pollock jokes live again. But, or if you're Polish, fill in whatever generic group you want to. But the point is, if you do it the easier way, make sure you're heading in the right direction. And life is that way. You need to know which way you're going. And when you get to know him and you get his perspective, you discover over and over again God is going to come through and therefore I don't need to worry. I we have a women's retreat coming up this next weekend that we've been really looking forward to. And just a couple days ago the lady who's speaking for it called suddenly and canceled. And we're like, oh no. But I was so proud of Ann because she just felt like, you know, God has another plan. And she began to study. The Lord's given her some great stuff to share with the ladies. And I believe it's going to be the greatest women's retreat ever. We think, oh, you get the big, you know, named guest speaker and that'll be great. But you know what? God knew. Yeah, we only found out. But God knew all along. His plan for that retreat was that way. And I know it's going to turn out great. And in the same way in our lives in every area, we have a choice. Am I going to look at what's happening and go, we are in big trouble? Or am I going to say, I know God. I know how he comes through. He's done it in the past. He's going to do it now. This is something great for us to learn during an election season. When some people are very anxious about, oh, what's going to happen if this person wins or if that person wins or if this amendment doesn't pass or if this, and we have all these gloom and doom predictions of everything's going to be horrible, well, how about God being on the throne? You know, he's not dependent on any candidate. In fact, whoever wins is supposed to win. It fits with God's plan. I, as a citizen of the United States, as a patriot, I consider who I think would be best for the country, and I vote. But you know what? I'm going to celebrate no matter how the thing comes out. Because I know, just like Paul knew when he was under the reign of Nero, God has ways of working through all these situations. And so I refuse to look at my future with anything but optimism i refuse to make dire predictions about what's coming next i know god and if we go through a period of hunger it's because he wants to find a great way to feed us when the stock market's plummeting real estate values are going down and predictions are awful and everything's i'm not worried because i know god he's good He loves me. And even when other people mean things for evil, he means them for good. He is in control. And that's the only way I can approach life in a healthy way with some optimism because I know him. And that's what he is trying to get across here. If you know where you're going and you know who holds the future, what are you worried about? It's all under control. And eventually, as we go through times of testing, oh no, I lost my job. You learn. I've seen God work before. He always has a better job. He always has something better along. Oh no, I lost my spouse. Oh, never mind, I won't go there. But (laughs) the point is, (laughs) the point is, when you sign up with him, you're already saying, I know that there's going to be death involved. I know that the path to life leads through a cross. But when he hits the cross, he shatters the cross. And it's amazing. And so he says, you want to come after me? Forget yourself. Forget the way normal people think. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Because I know where I'm going. I understand the ultimate end of things. If you don't want to go with me, someday you're going to be ashamed But if you believe in me and trust me, you'll never be ashamed, ever. Ultimately, you're going to get where you're going. And you're going to feel so good about the fact that you trusted him, that you believed him, that you knew from experience that he would come through. And that's the perspective to which he wants to elevate all of us. He wants to get us to the point where when we see a problem... We go, oh, this is great. I can't wait to see how God's going to get us out of this one. You know, like when you're watching a, an adventure movie with one of your heroes in it, and you know they're not going to die. They've already s- signed him for the next movie. And so <laughs> if he dies, he's going to come back to life in the next movie. I don't know how they do that, but you can enjoy the adventure because you see a, a threat and you go, oh, how's he going to get out of this? I wonder how this is going to work out. That's life, when you trust God. And you're hungry? Great. I wonder what's for dinner. You're lonely? I wonder who God's going to bring along to, to comfort and strengthen me. You're blind, you can't see? I'm looking hard, because I think it's going to start to materialize, and I think ultimately I'm going to see the light of day, and then I'm going to see clearly the plan that he has for me. That's life with Jesus. There's easier ways to live than to walk with Jesus but no more rewarding way and no other way that ends up where you really want to go. And that's the the perspective of living with someone like Jesus who can always work everything together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. As much as the disciples didn't get it, we have to confess a lot of times we don't. Man, you've got us out of so many jams. You've worked things out so many times when we thought the future was dark and bleak and you always bailed us out in the past. And we confess that and we ask for faith to look forward to our future whatever happens, whatever path you take us through, Lord, if it leads to death, help us to trust in the resurrection. Lord, help us to just want to be with you, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following you, just knowing that with you is where we want to be. And God, I pray that you will give us the, the sense, not just out of nowhere, but that we would learn from experience that you know what you're doing. Lord, we thank you so much. Help us to get it. In Jesus' name, amen.